evening. It is good to see you all this evening. All right, Genesis 6. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you again for this time in your word. We pray that you would speak to us and uh, show us more of you through your word that we might fall in love with you. Uh, We do pray for our families and friends, Lord, that don't know you. We pray that you would save them, Lord. We pray for our children, Lord. We pray that uh, for those that were a part of the family, the prodigals, Lord, to have wandered off, Lord, into darkness, we lift them up to you, Lord. We pray that you would save them, Lord. I think of all the remarkable stories I've heard at, at pastor's conference where pastor kids have wandered into the world, and, and, and here they are now, pastors, Lord, and so there's no hope. I mean, there's hope. (laughs) There's no hope in the world, for sure, but there's hope in you. And so I pray that you would reach them, Lord. Bring them to yourself. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have that mighty work in their souls and awaken them, even this hour, to your wonderful truth. Speak to us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we here are in Genesis 6. We covered the first part of the first paragraph or two. We're going to, we're going to begin in verse 5, and then we'll comment. We, we read this last week together, so but I'll probably commentate just on a little bit of it. So verse 5 begins, And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and every inclination of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures and move, uh, that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Now I shared about, uh, about God's feelings here, God's sorrow at man and the grief in his heart are striking. This does not mean that creation was out of control, nor does it mean that God hoped for something better, but it was unable to achieve it. God knew all along that this was how things would turn out. But our text clearly tells us that as God sees his plan for all ages unfold, it affects him, brings pain. God is not unfeeling in the face of human sin and rebellion. And one of the things that Satan knows is that he knows that if he can take away one person from his kingdom, it breaks God's heart. And so he's always after that. He's always after you. He's after the children of, you know, he's after everyone, mankind. And so he, he just breaks and tears at God's heart. So this isn't, you know, if you think of Ephesians, Ephesians makes it clear from the foundation of the earth, you were chosen in Christ. So even before the laws, you know, were put into this, this universe, God thought of you. So this is all part of the plan. He knew when he made the rule not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden was going to be broken. He said, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And surely man died. And really, technically, all mankind should have died at that time. But it was God's grace to say, I'm going to save you. I'm going to send my son. It says there in Genesis 3, 15. And he's going to come to the earth, born of a virgin, and he's going to pay for your rebellion. So he knew all along that he's going to save mankind. So this here is part of the plan here, but God has to reset the button. He has to 
do this because wickedness is out of control. Remember that he has given everything to man. It is as if man was a god here on earth. He owned the plants, he owned the, the animals, he named them all. All of it was given to him. So all that he can see, all that he can experience was given to man there in the garden. So all of it is him. And so then when the curse of sin came upon man, it affects everything, including animal life. Animal life there is, is, you know, people always ask, why are animals being judged? I think Genesis 9, verses 2 through 4, gives us a little bit of information there. And we'll get to that in a few uh, weeks. It says this, though. The fear and the dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea they are given into your hand. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you must not eat meat that has uh, the lifeblood still in it. And, for, and it says, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand accounting. And I will demand accounting from every animal. Did you see that? And from, every, uh, and from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. So we see here in the new world, after Adam, you know, parks the ark, <laughs> God parks the ark for him, you know, that he comes out to a new environment, new regulations, new law. Hey, listen, everything was given to man, and he blew it. He, he, I mean, the sin was spread out and nobody can control themselves with their free will. Noah was the one that chose to follow God with his free will, but the rest did not. And so they, they blew it. So God had to push the reset button. And so we see this little, this little insight to what happened to the animals. The animals began to no doubt fight against this, this, free will that God had given to them to have this beautiful relationship with mankind. Now it's broken because of sin. And these animals seem to be eating mankind as well. So here in this passage here in Genesis 9, there is an accountability now. There is accounting to animals. And now, you know, if, if through the studies of animals, you know that there's a behavioral pattern. You know, they, they eat, sleep, not. You know, they, they don't make homes. They don't write poetry. This is just their... They're, they're, this is their life, you know? But every now and then, they run into man, and they get the taste of man's blood, and so they begin to chase men, and so they need to be put down. And so you see that. They have left the fear factor, and so usually because man is feeding them food, or they found something that man has, and then it causes them to attack man, or man is coming to their element. Uh, but there's usually a fear factor. Uh, but in this case, it's not. And so now, because of this... Uh, rebellious act of the animal kingdom, they have to be judged as well. And so we see this, this whole universe, I mean, I should say the whole earth filled with people, and it's probably six billion people on planet earth thinking of evil continually, and what a horrific time that, sure, that must be. Uh, I think of the, the things that are happening today, that the, you know, the, just the home invasions, Come on now, really? Carjacking, human traffickers, school shootings, walking in stores and taking whatever you want and beating the elderly. How's that? How's that good in any man's mind? You know, everybody has a mother and grandparents and beating the elderly. We see a lot of that lately. It's just killing of babies with no conscience. It's quite, 
quite scary. And I think of Noah's time. I, I'm talk, You know, what I just read to you just now is our time. But Noah's time was even worse. And there's a condition on planet Earth that's going to be worse when we're the church has moved out of the way. The Holy Spirit lives within the church. The Holy Spirit's taken away. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. He's moved out of the way, so are we. And then it says the evil one will continue. And we're going to see, at least the earth will see, a similar picture of what will take place there in the days of Noah. And of course, God has to come and clean it up. And so uh, he will indeed. You know, the, the thing that, that really strikes me the most is that though we be given a free will even to choose evil or to choose what is right, these men have chosen what is wrong. And I think there's a there's an element of demon possession. Uh, you know, I think that in Jesus' day we saw a lot of that. Um, I think that we're going to see a lot more of that towards the end of our time, uh, and it's going to become worse and worse. And so there was that element, uh, and, and it was just chaotic, just a horrible time. Um, there was no... There was no redemption in any, in any man other than Noah. And Noah had to be saved by an ark. God had to save him. So God is going to push the reset button. And so in verse 8, it says this, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. And this is such an amazing, uh, you know, amazing uh, characteristic, you know, list of Noah here. Here he is, a righteous man. No man's righteous, right? But righteous because he believed in God's word and by faith he's accepting the Savior. He doesn't quite probably grasp it. He probably doesn't quite understand it. But he knows that the Father, God the Father, is gonna, going to send a rescue plan. And in this case, it would be the ark. He was blameless among the people of his time, which is interesting because Everybody, except for him and his family, are going the opposite way. And he's going against the flow. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. We have, we have issues today as Christians, you know, in our work environment, in our schools, with friends around us. We seem to go with the flow instead of going the opposite direction. And that's kind of a rebuke to us. Here's Noah that in the most harshest of condition, and yet he's not given in to the worldly system at all. Zero. And we living in this world, we're afraid to stand up. We're, we're afraid to go against the flow in our work, wherever it may be. And, you know, we're timid. But, you know, and, and I always pray that you wouldn't be. I, I really, I teach the, the college age um, people and and I, and I pray that they would have a backbone to stand for truth, and to be able to go against the flow. Worldly philosophy, worldly ideas, activism in every arena, in every part of the university. There's activism. There's no longer education. <laughs> there's a little mixture there of education, but it's activism, promoting evolution theology homosexuality, I mean, on and on, the list, the list, the list, that's anti-God. 
our society is turning anti-God. We're finally starting to fight in some of the places now for truth, just for basic truth, for genetic codes, you know, science. You know. But going against the flow means you have to stand against some of your family members. Doesn't mean you're not loving them. Love them. But you still got to stand up for truth. It's wrong, but I love you. You know, if you're going to bring it up, I'm going to tell you it's wrong. Science says it's wrong. Nature says it's wrong. God says it's wrong. But I love you. <laughs> it's hard to go against the flow when your family is all in your face. But Noah, he decided to go against the flow of all the world. The world was against him. And it says there that he was blameless. He did it right in front of mankind. That's something that we have to do. You know, that the Bible says that God has given us self-control. It's part of the fruit of the spirits. When a divine a spirit, divine God lives in you, he's transforming you, and he's giving you all these amazing gifts. Self-control, anger should be dissipating out of your life. You know, that if you have problems with anger, take it to the cross, right? Take it to Jesus. You know, we have... To, you, we're, you know, lust, take it to the cross, you know. You know, your, your, your alcoholic behavior that leads you to drunkenness, take it to the cross, right? There, there, there's so much that God is changing us in that we might be blameless in, in, in front of our peers. And God willing, in front of your children, you know. Your children's looking up to you. And what you do, they're going to mimic, but they'll take it one step further, How's that for a wake-up call, <laughs> you know? Blameless, doing it right. And he walked with God. That is so amazing. He, he, just, he just was devoted to God in every way in his life, reading the word, spending time at church. I, I love church. I, I, from early on in my Christian life, you know, I got radically saved and I didn't want anything to do in the world. And the only place I could hide was in the church. So the pastor would give me a key and we'd come here and worship. And after a while, there'd be two of us, three of us, there'd be 20, 30 of us in here. Just let's just hide out in here, man. You know, You're like, wait a minute, we can't be the light of the world and we're hiding here. <laughs> you know? Well, let's go evangelize together. You know, and then we started doing it. But it was so amazing. We were at church all the time. We loved worship. We loved singing of our God. We loved reading the word. We would get up as young kids on the pulpit, you know, and we would try to preach. Had no, no biblical training whatsoever. And we'd like, all right, give me a passage. You know, Judges 16, all right. Oh, wow, let's change that one. Give me, you know, <laughs> you're, you're like, you know, you're just, what do you mean Leviticus? No, not, you know, you're like, so we'd get up there and try to preach. You know, we were so in love with God, so wanting to be in his presence. Remember the all-night prayers? Remember the altar call? We had, we had one last week. Remember those? You just come down and just fall on, the, on your face and surrender and, and bawl and cry out to God, save me. I'm going, I don't know why I'm born again, but I keep doing the wrong thing. I, we didn't care what people thought. Really, remember those days? You're just pounding on your chest like the man on the, at the altar there you know, before God just saying, I'm a, the worst sinner of them all. And Jesus says, that man's forgiven. 
just crying out to God because we just wanted to walk with God. Asking him to show us more of himself. That still happens. It happened in Noah's day. It happens today. And you, but you, you must desire it though. You must desire that. I desire it more than anything. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. While God commanded all the earth to be cleansed of this pollution, he found one man with whom to begin again, Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah did, didn't earn grace, he found it. No one earns grace, but we can all find it. It was true then and it's true today, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. I don't care what you did in your life. Grace is abounded to you. Speaking at a prison for lifers, sitting with these guys, you know, and, and we're worshiping the Lord and, and just singing with them. And I reach over, I go, hey, why are you in? What are you in here for? I should never ask those questions. <laughs> I'm thinking, what am I doing in this place, you know? <laughs> and I get up on the pulpit and I said, God can forgive you of that. God can forgive you of that and that. Forgive you of all your sins if you're willing. Men who have all these tattoos, 666 written on their head, you know, and just coming to the altar, falling on their faces, saying, if God can forgive me, then I'm his. And they're in life. They're there for prison forever. Grace. Grace abounded much more. Noah here is a preacher of righteousness. I showed you that last time in 2 Peter 2.45. If he did not spare the ancient world where, when he brought the flood on to the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and the seven others. He, he was a preacher. Imagine all those people that would come and see him build this big old huge boat in the middle of nowhere, no river, no ocean near there, near him. And he's telling them God's going to judge the world one day and you need to get right. Come and enter the ark when it's time. They scorned him. They laughed at him. Same thing is happening to us. We tell him of a second judgment that's coming. They laugh at us. Scorn. I always tell my friends, it's okay. You're not looking for them. <laughs> You're looking for the one that wants to turn to God. That's why we go out. We're fishers of men. Preacher of righteousness. That's our job. That's what God has given every one of us in some way, in some fashion. I think of the very ministries that we have here at The Rock, whether it's your family at home or whether it's here with the children's ministry to the the junior high, to the high schoolers, to the young adults, you know, it, you have ministry to do. You have some preaching to do. <laughs> and who else, who else to learn from than the experienced ones, right? That's you and I. We have much to offer this generation. Titus, it says, older women train the young women, train them how to live righteously, how to raise the family, how to please God in it. You have a lot, we have a lot to do, my friends. We're never idle. 
I see a lot of you working in hospitality. Thank you. Do it with a smile and a skip in your walk. <laughs> I always say that in prayer, guys. Let's, let's, let's serve the people with a smile on our face and a skip in our walk, you know? We have a lot to do. God's given us this amazing opportunity to preach to our generation. King David was a man who served his generation. Noah was a man who served his generation. We're here for that purpose till God takes us home to serve our generation. Verse 11 goes on now. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And surely that judgment is did come. And it's interesting that some of the things that are happening today mimic the days of Noah. And Jesus said that, of course, there in Luke 17, 26 through 27, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day of Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Listen, they were just living life. They ignored the, the word of God. Violence going on. They just, you know, selfishly, they were saying, at least it didn't come to my house. The violence didn't come to my place and to my family. But everybody else around them were being killed and tormented and starved. And people were living selfishly. Going and drinking and marrying. Isn't that interesting? It says that eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage up to the day of Noah. Just taking life as, yeah, well, you know, we've, we've been living this life for the last, whether you're a young earth or an old earth, but as human beings, you know, at least from Abraham, or, you know, two or 4,000 years, 6,000 years old, your early earth, you know, if you're looking at the genealogy, since mankind's here, we've been just. We're here. It's always going to be here. No, 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 no. There's a time. And when God says that it's enough. It says there that Jesus declaring it, that there'll be this satisfaction of this worldly environment, this life. And I'm afraid the church is there. And Second Timothy, one of the, and, and also Timothy, First uh, Timothy, there's something that has to happen to fulfill the second coming of Jesus. It says that the church has to go in a, and, and become apostate. It means it has to turn away from the truth, the church. And I never really saw that happening. For you know, I thought, well, we got plenty of times, but isn't it interesting in the last 10 years how quickly the church has turned from the truth of God's word? More than ever in the last five years, more than ever. No longer believing in the virgin birth, no longer believing in faith alone in Christ Jesus, no longer believing Jesus is the only way, allowing sin to come into their midst instead of saying, yes, it's a sin. We love you. Come on in. But it's a sin. 
of bringing sin into the mix and saying we are okay with those things. We're in a great apostasy right now. That was one of the fulfillments of Timothy that we see today, the great apostasy taking place. History often repeats itself and it's happening right before our eyes. Don't become lukewarm, my friends. In Revelation, the last church age is the lukewarm church. It cannot be us, Lord. Don't let it be us. Let's read verse six. I mean, chapter six, verse fourteen. It says, "So make yourself an ark of cypress wood." By the way, nobody knows what that cypress wood is or was. Nobody knows. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. There, make rooms in it, encoat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be four hundred and fifty feet long, seventy feet wide, and forty-five feet high. Make roof for it, finish the ark with, uh, within 18 inches of the top, put a door in the side of the ark, and make lower and middle and upper decks. And so we have this ark that God commands Noah to build. This ark, by the way, is so ridicule. Oh my goodness. You know, by the church and by the world. And it's, it's impossible for the ark to hold all the animals. It's impossible for the ark to be built out of wood and survive all that water and the length and, and on and on and on. You know, they, they, I mean, it's just ridicule. But I, I hope to build your faith this evening in the truth of God's word. In Kentucky, they built an ark there and they took the dimensions and they created this. It's beautiful. And it's uh, spectacular. So when we were, my wife and I were in Kentucky and uh, they were barely doing the framework of the bottom so we couldn't go inside uh, to look at this beautiful thing. But we want to get over there uh, and take a look at this ark. Uh, I heard, uh, anybody, has anybody gone there? Oh yeah, there's been quite a few that's gone there. Awesome. And uh, there's rooms, correct? All the way through it, showing different animals could fit in it and whatnot, right? Yeah, uh, so I, I'm just going to suggest that. But um you know, I, because, you know, when I, when in my mind, when I picture, when I'm reading the Bible, I picture these different levels and I picture all the animals being able to fit inside all these compartments. And, uh, and so I, it's, it's easily done thinking about the, the different kinds of animals that are registered on planet earth today. Um, remember, they don't have to take every single species. You just have to get the feline, you know, the canines, you know, the, the two dogs that represent the wolf, the coyotes, and the chihuahuas. <laughs> you know, you, you, can you imagine? Who let those things go, man? Anyway, uh, so you just need to get the two dogs and then, of course, the two cats, right? Because the cats represent all the cats, you know, and so you don't have to get every one of them. You just got to get the kinds. And so that really narrows down the amounts of animals, and then you don't have to get, what is it, 15% uh, are giants, the rest is not? The rest of them are less than the size of a sheep and smaller? Easily, easily fit on the ark. And so that, you just got to do the research. Of course, you, you have the guys that are up there opposing it and saying, what about all these species? And what about the dinosaurs and all? They didn't have to take mama and daddy dinosaur, <laughs> They just had to take some good-sized ones in there. 
Think about the elephants. I mean, you can fit them in, in, in anywhere in those, you know, those train carts now. It's, it's doable. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Noah's ark size. Why don't you go to that next one? Here it is, that next size. So here, here's the, the beauty of it. 300 cubits to the, the lengthwise, 30 cubits up, you know. Uh, and so it's, it's quite large and it's, it's really spectacular. Um, if you go to the next slide there, there's the comparison of, you know, the St. Maria and the Wyoming and the Titanic. You see the Titanic uh, in the, the, the light gray area there. It was quite big. Uh, the Noah's Ark was 500. Again, the, the difficulty was the wood. How do you cause the wood from breaking in with all the pressure and, uh, and creating all these leaks? And so that would be, you know, once it starts to move, like if you built anything, once it starts to move, you know what happens, right? And so that would be the problem, but we're going to, we're going to straighten that out. So anyways, (laughs) the Titanic was way bigger. Titanic runs over 800 feet. And of course, Queen Mary II is huge, but look how big the ark is. It's, it still holds, uh, it's, it's very big in its uh, own right. Um, if you, if you go to the next one, these are, these are, I love these fun facts. It's the biggest wooden ship. I mean, uh, you know, when you, when you consider, uh, the, the big wooden ships of, of the past centuries, um, there would be two of them in mind, the Chinese treasure ship of Zhang, incredible, uh, incredibly the largest ship in the fleet called treasure ships. We're likely between 450 and 538 feet long, 210 feet wide, made out of wood. Made out of wood. They have some Greek boats, uh, and they were, they were masters at putting the, the, the boats together. Again, 130 feet long, 15 feet wide, made out of wood. Made out of wood. So not a problem, you know, especially when God is in charge, right? Come on now. So... All right, the next one. This, this is a really good one, This is the study. In 1993, Dr. Sion Hong at the World Class Ship Research Center, the research team found that the proportion of Noah's Ark carefully balanced to conflicting demands to stability, resistance to capsizing, comfort, uh, sea keeping, and strength. In fact, the Ark has the same propo- proportion as modern cargo ship. This guy studies this. That's what he does for a living. And he went and put all the factors in and said, hey, this thing is amazing. This thing holds water. This is, and he goes on and talks, speaks about it down at the very bottom there. And, and it, gives his, it gives all his credentials. So he's proven all the doubters wrong. He's like, guys, do the research. It's there. All right, the capacity. If you go to the next slide. There, here we go. The Ark had the same storage capacity as about 450 standard semi-trailers. 450 semi-trucks with trailers on them. A standard livestock trailer holds about 250 sheep. So the Ark had the capacity to hold at least 120,000 sheep easily. All right, next one. The roof of Noah's Ark was more than 50 feet from the ground, higher than a modern four-story house. Look at that. Amazing. Give you some, you know, it gives you a good clear picture of how big this plate, this thing was. So not, not, a, not a difficult, I, I'm just surprised Noah built it in 120 years. 
<laughs> Man, that thing is amazing. All right. Uh, you know, those are fun facts. I have a lot of fun facts with the ark. And so, uh, but that's for another day, maybe our next time together. But uh, let's go to verse 17. Verse 17 says this, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has uh, the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. So, uh, you know, of course, there's people that want to say that it was a local flood. Of course, they don't think that God can bring enough water to cover Mount Everest, <laughs> you know. But I want to I, I want to say this, you know, I, I you know, there's guys that don't take the Bible literal. There's probably some here today. I take the Bible literal. I think there's enough evidence in there to point to that. There's guys that you say, oh, it's a nice story. It's good morals is the idea. And you're like, no, 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 no. I want to show you how, you know, the, 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 the simple fact is that it was a worldwide flood. There's just some, some amazing, amazing facts that you're going to have to deal with. <laughs> Can you imagine finding a fossil of a well on, in the Sahara Desert in Egypt? Can you imagine that? Yeah, go to that next slide. <laughs> there it is. Wow. Right? Fossilized well bones found in Sahara. It was the Sahara researchers working in the Sahara Desert have uncovered dozens of fossilized remains thought to be prehistoric ancestors of well. The well bones were found in the Wati El Hitan in the Egypt desert, Egyptian desert, measured more than 65 feet, 20 meters long. Well, how did it get in the desert? Let me show you how far the water is. Can you go to that next? There you go. See, see that red dot there? Well, that's where they found the fossil. You see that water over there? <laughs> 150 to 200 feet, 200 miles, uh, I should say, 150 to 200 miles away. They found those fossils there. Isn't that amazing? How did it get there? Well, you know, it, you know, you have to add millions of years to bring the water up on top of the desert. The axes had to tilt. Of course, we would say that too. You know, the axes tilted and, you know, and it's and all these, you know, it changed the environment of that whole region there, and that's why it's all dried up. But you know, millions of years ago. By the way, this one is. This one always has the title. They found the well with four legs in it. You're like, <laughs> really? Four legs? All right. That's for the evolutionists. You know, they 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 they, <clears throat> they can't prove that. By the way, dinosaurs don't have feathers. Oh, and that's another story. Anyways, if you guys want to talk about that, Kurt back there is the science guy. You know, they always want to tell you that, you know, the, the, the dinosaurs are part of the birds and oh, they had feathers. And you're like, no, never found on planet Earth, ever. Anyways, um, no transitional form of anything has ever been found anywhere on planet Earth. Just throw that out there for you. All right, if that wasn't enough, let me take you to the next one. <laughs> Fossils of whales in Chile. <laughs> Listen, how did more than 75 whales uh, fossils turn up in the middle of Chile, the Atacama Desert, the Atacama, uh, Atacama, I'll get it, Atacama Desert, one of the world's driest? The question, uh, the, that's the question puzzling the team of scientists from Smithsonian Institute who discovered the whale graveyard over a half a mile away from the ocean. 
right? They were digging a road, digging it all out, and they found all these fossils, and they're like, whoa, how did these get here? Well, millions of years ago, the water was, <laughs> of course, of course, they're going to tell you that. They don't want to tell you that it was a flood. The water was worldwide. The next one is quite amazing. The next slide. This is it right here. Listen to this. Clamshells on Mount Everest. How did they get there? <laughs> the tallest mountain. Also, in addition to whalebone seashells, have been found at the top of Mount Everest, the highest mountain on earth. Sir Edmund Hillary in 1953 climbed to the top of the mountain and recorded fine uh, seashells and other sedimentary rocks at the top. How did they get there? Hey Amen. There's enough evidence to believe this story, guys. It's just whether you want to believe the God story. Right? Because like anything, if you want to believe the tooth fairy, you will. You know? <laughs> You guys can tell my daughter anything. She ain't going to believe any of that. She's been taught right. You know, there ain't no tooth fairy. There ain't no Santa. There I hope I didn't hurt anybody's feelings. But so, so my, is there any kids here? Anyways, so the, but you know, there's no way we're going to tell her lies. We're, we're not going to tell her lies. We don't ever want her to think that Jesus Christ is a, a lie. So we're not going to feed her those lies. Jesus is true. So if you want to believe them, you go right ahead. You can believe in the evolutionary process. You can believe that, you know, millions and millions of years. Who knows how Mount Everest got the seashells up on top of there. That had to be, a, uh, you know, of course, a tornado, you know, a cyclone or a tornado picked up the shells and, you know, dumped it on there, you know, through the weather. You know, the, the shell fairy, there you go. So, so you know, you, you, you can believe that. They have lots of stories for you if you want. I mean, they give you enough stories to believe in so that you don't have to believe in God. But they're not true. They're not true at all. And so we'll get into more of this stuff later on, but this is the huge, huge flood that came upon planet Earth. Verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you, uh, by the way, supernaturally, by God, to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and them. This is a, a, a command by God that I'm going to bring the animals to you, two by two. Of course, the seven he's going to mention later on, the clean animals. Can you put up the next slide? There are thousands of... There are, there are a thousand other questions like these which could be raised. Think about this. How could Noah have water enough to, for all the animals? How could he have enough food for them all? You know, how could he clean up after them? I mean, that's, you know, they had that little window, you know. There, there's, you know, not eight people can't. There's, but there's answers for all that. There's hibernation. There, there's, there's so many answers. And I, I just want to read you this quote that I, 
took out of this uh, book. There are a thousand other questions like these which could be raised, and they are all good questions. In the minds of many, these questions are unanswerable, but they are certainly nothing new. They have been asked over and over for centuries, and in all of that time, researchers have sought answers. There are now numerous very scholarly feasibility, or feasibility studies which have put Noah and Ark to the test. With over 1,200 scholarly reference to academic studies, Woodmore's book in modern system, a systematic evaluation of the alleged difficulties surrounding Noah's Ark, Woodmore's claims that after years of systematically examining all of the questions which have been raised, all of the arguments against the ark are found wanting. In fact, the vast majority of the anti-ark arguments, at first superficially plausible, turn out to be easily invalidated. Isn't that amazing? And I have, of course, his book if you ever wanted to go read his stuff. But they have answered every question, every question that's ever been risen regarding the ark. With, with solutions. Pretty amazing, huh? I want to end verse 22. It says there, Noah did everything just as God commanded him, and that's why Noah is remarkable. He did everything that God asked of him. That's what I want written on my tomb. <laughs> my little headstone, Bong Giona did everything that God commanded him to do. Amen? That is such an amazing testimony of this man who fought against the system. I just want to close with this, Jesus, our ark. The account of Noah's finding favor with God is a beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel says that man is still as sinful as ever was, there is none righteous, not even one, Romans 3.10. The gospel says that one day God is going to destroy all flesh again, this time by fire. But the gospel also says that just as he did in the days of Noah, God had, has provided us with a way of escape, an ark, in the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, who lived a sinless life, died in our place, and rose on the third day, we, like Noah, may find favor in the eyes of the Lord. Yes, as detailed as was God's plan for Noah's ark, the wood, the pitch, the dimension, the window and the doors, he laid down the plan for 33-year life of his son with much more care. In his premeditated mercy, God planned out every detail of the life of Jesus so as to provide us with a perfect Savior, with an ark that will not sink. And whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So we close this chapter with another reminder to climb on board the ark. God has fixed his day of judgment. The sand of times are sinking. The day of judgment draws ever closer. And in that day, God will not relent of his fury. But while he tarries, we live like Noah in the age of favor. We live under the offer of complete rescue from the wrath to come. So let us heed God's warning before the rains come. While Noah, while Noah preached to his contemporaries, they had opportunity to climb aboard the ark and be saved, but they missed the opportunity of grace. Let us be sure not to imitate them. 
Let us rather imitate Noah in trusting God and doing according to all that God has commanded him. Let us climb aboard the security and the safety of Jesus Christ, our ark. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing time that we get to study your word. Lord, we're so confident in your word and the clarity of what you have outlined, Lord. We're so thankful that you've given us Jesus, our ark of our time, and we find comfort in him. He's the lover of our soul, and we love that. And he's made a way for us to be forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. This evening, if you haven't gotten right, if you haven't been right with God and you've been wandering, this is the time to confess your sins and to be right with Jesus. If you've never given your life to Jesus, it's a simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I've sinned against you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. I believe that God raised you up on the third day and now you're my savior. Come into my life. Show me how to live for you. A simple prayer like that gets you into heaven. It's time. Don't fight. Father, I pray for your saints, Lord. You always give us a time to repent and get right, and now's the time, Lord. We repent and we get right. Show us how to live with you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.